I'm Matt Swain, and you're listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges facing companies on the road to optimizing their communications for the future. Today, I'm joined by Russell Sherman, a partner at public relations firm ProSec Partners. Russell, thank you for joining today. My pleasure, Matt. Good to be here. So, Russell, you have spent time as a reporter and anchor at New York News One. You've led corporate public relations at the Bear Stearns Company. That could be the rest of our podcast. <laughs> You've had your own PR marketing and communications consulting firm, and now you're a partner at ProSec. So I'd love to hear that progression of your career, and maybe we can just go back to starting at anchor and reporter at New York News One and and walk through this really interesting career. Well, happy to talk about it, and I, I've been really lucky. I've had basically three, what I consider three distinct careers, but they've all sort of built on each other. And New York One was a fantastic experience. The all-news station here in New York City, I joined there right out of, out of college, and I got to do a lot of things at that station that you normally wouldn't get to do at a TV station at Straight a, at a young age, right? right? I mean, most people have to go to Paducah, Kentucky, or some random right. place, and I, I basically started as an intern at the station that had just gone on the air, and within a week, I was holding a camera on the field at Giants Stadium on Monday Night Football, <laughs> and I couldn't have been happier. So it was quite an amazing experience that sort of just compounded over time. I was there for about nine years, and every experience was just more interesting than the next. And I think what happened there, which was really helpful if I look back into my career in terms of what kind of foundation that laid, was this understanding and this ability to really understand what was newsworthy, what was a news story. I came in with very little understanding of that out of college. I had done sports play-by-play and a few other things, but I didn't really know how a newsroom worked or what was newsworthy, what wasn't newsworthy. And so when I joined there, I was there, I, there was a lot of talented people there. They taught me what was newsworthy and what wasn't. And so that would prove to be a very helpful skill set later in my career and something that I still use today. I also got a very good understanding of how to, what makes a good interview and what makes not such a good interview, right? Because I needed that I needed that good interview to do my job. And a lot of times I needed that good interview to be done in a quick yep. way on a time crunch, right? So I, I, I first started covering sports, then I moved to general assignment news, and then ultimately I covered politics at the end. So I got a taste of a little bit of everything, but it always hold, held true no matter what topic I was covering, I was always out there looking for the good interview. And so what was the good interview? Well, the good interview, whether I was in the Yankees locker room or whether I was in the hallways of Albany covering all the assemblymen and state senators, were the people who knew how to, first of all, they were accessible. They made it easy on you and they were a pleasure to deal with. That was always important. They had some insights that maybe were a little bit different than the next person. And then they could deliver their insights in a quotable and interesting way, right? So I always say accessible, insightful, and quotable. And I think in a large part, that was really helpful, right? So you would, you'd walk into the Yankee locker room at the end of the game and you'd look around over time and you knew you'd say, you'd look at all the lockers, you'd say, no, 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 yes, no, yes, no, right? And you knew where to go. And, the, and I wasn't alone. I mean, all the reporter throng went right. to, to, to these individual players that you knew you could get a, a good soundbite from and you stayed away from the players who were either surly or just weren't going to deliver much. And same in Albany. 
down the hallways of the assembly. And what was interesting in Albany, a lot of folks go into politics, they're not shy of the camera, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd be walking down the hallway in Albany and lots of folks sticking their head out of their office saying they're available for interviews if you're interested. Right. Same thing, no, no, yes, no, yes, right? And you'd look for the people that were the best. So that was that just gave me an understanding of what makes a good interview. And so I had this skill set coming out of New York One. Again, I didn't realize it was a skill set, but when I made the move, after eight or nine years, to Bear Stearns, and I got hired to work with their equity research analysts. I came in there, and really, my I was still kind of playing reporter because yep. I was just covering what was going on within the organization and then turning around and telling that story to the media and, sure. and trying to get them to amplify what was happening at Bear Stearns. But that ability to understand what was newsworthy and what wasn't was really helpful. And you were able to translate even the sports examples or the political examples to financial services. That's right. And yeah. so, yes, there was a learning curve to understand. I had to move, sure. from, I right. had to move from football uh, terminology to investment banking terminology. Right. But after I overcame that, it, a lot of things were, were still the same. And what was interesting is a lot of people with inside the organization, as talented as they were within Bear Stearns, as smart as anyone I've ever worked with, they didn't really know how the media worked. Right. right. They just didn't, they didn't know. Yep. They had never sat on that side of it. So they'd say, hey, let's talk about this. And I'd have to raise my hand and say, I don't think they're going to be interested in yep. that. They're going to be interested in these various things. And so I started this process of coaching mm -hmm. either analysts or executives on how they should interact with the media and what would be interesting and how we can make sure to tell our story. And storytelling became a big part of it. Diving into an organization, playing reporter and saying, these are the interesting things. These yeah. are what you should be focused on. And this is how we should interact and talk to the reporters about it because they'll be interested. And did you have that added credibility having been a reporter and anchor? I think that's right. Yeah. I think I think they they at least knew that I came, that I had believability around those yeah. those topics. The funny thing is, well, maybe the first or second month, I was still sort of moonlighting at New York One when I was at Bear Stearns. And I remember the CFO coming to my boss and saying, I saw Russell on TV last night. Right. Does, does he work here? Does he work right. there? And fortunately, she was nice enough to just to say, no, no, it's okay. Don't worry. So let's talk about 2008 for Bear Stearns. Sure. Because I, I, again, being in the role you were in, it's a really valuable experience, even though it's a really tough time for the company. I've got to imagine that that has helped shape your understanding of, of the world today and the way that you bring some of those thoughts through from a crisis management perspective. Yeah, it was interesting. So I, so I had these skill sets of, of being able to understand what news was and to coach people on it. And the, but I gained, when I was at Bear Stearns, the skill set of what I would call issues management and mm -hmm. then ultimately crisis mm -hmm. communications. The joke is if you had asked me along the line at Bear Stearns, because remember, I'm there from 99 to 2008. Yeah. So if you had asked me come 2007, if I had issues or crisis communications experience, I'd be like, absolutely. I yeah. mean, we had Elliot Spitzer's whole investigation yeah. into yeah. the equity research. We had mutual fund timing. We had issues in Chicago public finance. We had employee issues all the time. We had litigation. This was a constant theme of just of any any sort of financial services organization, any investment bank, and, and certainly Bear wasn't immune to that. 
Then, of course, 2007, 2008 sure. rolls around, and it all paled in comparison, right? We got hit with this tidal wave of a crisis that was hadn't been seen ever before. And I remember when it was all said and done, and we were down in Washington actually testifying before a committee regarding what had taken place. The CEO was in the front, and he was doing his testimony. I was sitting in the that you know, second row with the general counsel, and I leaned over. I said, "Man, what we wouldn't do for a mutual fund timing investigation <laughs> right now." Right. It was a terrible experience in terms of going mm-hmm. through it. And, you know, I still have PTSD yeah. <laughs> from time to time. But in, in a lot of ways, it was it was the experience of a lifetime. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Mm-hmm. But sitting in that seat and being on the front lines and going through that and seeing it from, from where it started in 2007 all the way to 2008 really gave me a perspective that I certainly would not have had otherwise. And that perspective of understanding how an issue develops, what can happen, where things can go right, where they can go wrong, how to deal with it. And so when I left Bear after the sale, I stayed through the sale and after the sale, and I started working with other companies, and I was fortunate because lots of folks were looking for help at that time, that's what they were looking for. They wanted that perspective of understanding what an issue was, how it would develop, and what could go right and what could go go wrong. Yeah. So the consulting practice built on those two previous experiences. First at New York One and understanding what's news and, and how to tell a story and how to how to interact with the media and then compounding that at bear with those things plus the whole issues management, crisis communications mm-hmm. experiences. And then doing it on my own and then quickly merging it into uh, a small company that's now a large company called ProSec Partners. And I get to be next to 175 people doing the exact same thing I'm doing, uh, an incredibly talented group. We work with some of the top companies and financial services and professional services and corporations around the world. And so that's really exciting and interesting. And I'm grateful. It's been a great run and it's a lot of fun. How has the world of public relations and communications evolved for you as you've seen new technologies, new way, new channels for communication? I've got to imagine that in in some ways it's been great for the world of public relations, but at the same time it's it's also complicated and made it more difficult in some ways. Yeah, it's funny. There's been lots of changes. I think back when I first started at Bear in public relations, I remember the fax machine was <laughs> was right. a big deal, right. right? That's how you got out a lot of news. What passed for innovation was the fact that they came up with little post-it notes that had the to and from on it. And so you could you could send a number of faxes quickly right. by just replacing that post-it note. You didn't have to make a cover sheet for each one. That was innovation. Right. That was a big deal. <laughs> but obviously email was taking hold and there was there was a number of other things going that would that would increase it. And I, I I think technology has helped in a lot of ways. And we can talk about some of those, but it's also made it much more difficult, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think there are so many more outlets. There are so many places telling stories that it's difficult to get your arms around a story. It's difficult to cut through the clutter. Yeah. But I think one way that's made it easier is because of that, everyone has their own channel to tell their story. You yep. used to be totally beholden to the major publications and maybe the trade publications out there. Well, the fact of the matter is now there are so many different channels to get out and tell your story. It was interesting. I was at Milken, uh, the Milken Conference in, in Los Angeles just a couple months ago, and Mick Mulvaney was speaking, yep. and he was talking about the White House and what's going on. He was telling a story how he went to President Trump 
and they had to, they wanted to get out there on some issue. And he said, Mr. President, will you please go on Fox News tomorrow? We'll be able to talk about this issue and you'll hit a lot of people. And the president apparently said to him, you know, Mick, how many people are going to be watching on Fox News? How, right. how many people can we hit? I said, well, you know, it's a pretty popular program. And if, if all goes well, I guess we're looking at one and a half, two million, maybe two and a half million folks. So the president looked at him, he spun around in his seat, he picked up his phone, he started typing, he tweeted, he put the phone down, he said, I just hit 61 million people, can we go <laughs> right. do something else now? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that ability to talk to audiences directly never existed before. Now, having said all that, and it can be a very effective tool, never underestimate, in my mind, the importance of having that reporter or that publication give you third-party validation sure. on a topic. Sure. Right? There's an old saying, advertising is when you say nice things about yourself, but PR is when other people say nice things. Right. And I think that still having that, that authenticity, that validation of a third party, whether it's you know, a major publication, whether it's a TV station, whatever it may be, talk in a positive light or just objectively about you and your business and what you're doing, I think is, is still an incredibly important thing and it will always be important. But there are many more channels for reaching audiences now than there were in the past. So the interesting thing is in the world of communications consulting, which is what, what we do within Broadridge, we're trying to help get a better message out for a customer communication. We're trying to help get a, a consumer to take a desired action. And then it's very similar to, to the things you've been talking about, but there's always the, yeah, but how effective was that channel response, right? Show me the metrics that, that it's worth it to pay you what we pay you right. to do what we're doing. There used to be something called ad value equivalency, mm -hmm. which would basically, the, the, with the notion being that, hey, we got these two lines in the New York Times. If you were going to buy an advertisement in the New York Times, that, that much space yeah. would cost you X amount of dollars. Yeah. They'd put a multiplier on it because it was always better to have PR than advertising in their, in, right. in their mind, right? right? And then you'd say what the value is. And I'm not dismissing that entirely, but it's a little bit of a, you know, sure. it's not necessarily the most accurate. There are ways now in terms of driving traffic to different places through Google Analytics. If, you try, if you're doing a story and you want people to visit your website because the, that story is, is telling some sort of an interesting reason to, to drive people there or maybe there's a link attached to it, you can then track that traffic yep. and see how effective you are at, at getting there. So that's, I think, Google Analytics and measuring traction on a website or a place that you're trying to drive people is an effective way. I think share of voice is an interesting metric, meaning we're going to look at our competitive set and who those that we compete against on a various topic. And we're going to see how effective we are in terms of getting our story out there yep. versus them. And that's something you can track over time. Having said all that, the metric that matters most to businesses and to executives, I find, is the anecdotes. Yep. They saw someone somewhere and they said, oh, wow, I saw that story. It was really interesting. Or they went into a meeting, and at the beginning of the meeting, the people were talking about the story that they read on the client, right? right? Those things really cut through almost more than anything else. But yeah. you need the metrics. You need to be able to show that you're making progress in a variety of areas. And it's important. I think, it's, I think it, holds, it holds everyone account, accountable, and it allows you to, to see what type of progress you're making towards a number of different goals. Yeah. So another area in the 
in the communications world that that we look at is this shift from traditional or print print media to to digital, but also this movement back in some cases to direct mail because there's so much mail that's come out of the mailbox that yeah. by putting some mail back in the mailbox that people get the, like the tactile yeah. component to it. So I'd be curious to hear if there's a component of that even in your world where going back to traditional channels in inner office communication or B2B marketing communication, going back to print to help start that conversation. Well, that's so appealing to me. I mean, it's yeah. appealing to me because <laughs> first, I'm a nostalgic guy. Right? <laughs> I mean, if we want to talk 70s TV shows, right. I'm with you all day long. But it's appealing to me because I'm still the guy who on the morning and the train in the morning is carrying the hard copy of the papers because yeah. I just like the feel. I like to read it. I feel like yeah. I, I re- remember and I recall things better when mm-hmm. I see it physically uh, on the on the paper. So I don't know the answer to that. I, yeah. I do think that people are getting their information in a lot of different ways through a lot of different channels. I could see a narrowing of that. And then things like LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn's been an incredible tool for a lot of our clients because it, it's, it's a thoughtful discussion that can take place. No one's really mm-hmm. going to act in a way that's unbecoming, completely unbecoming, if their, <laughs> resu- their name and resume is attached to everything they right. say, right? So you, you have a little bit of a higher bar attached to the conversation. Yeah. LinkedIn's an interesting channel for business communication. The LinkedIn posts that get the most traffic are short, insightful videos, a short, insightful story with with an image that kind of helps convey that story. And I do wonder if we as a, a culture have moved to video as a primary channel or, or visual complement to the the printed story and i think it's it becomes so interesting because here we are doing a video podcast where some people will choose to just listen to this on their audio channel with their earbuds in right. but other people will will prefer and actually appreciate having that visual complement to the discussion right i think video is a very powerful tool and i yeah. think more and more people are they want that option and they want to see it. And even now when I read a story, <laughs> whether it's in a paper document or not, I find myself more often than not searching for the video that's being talked yeah. about or trying to see it for myself. Yeah. What it all boils down to is the power of the storytelling. Are you telling a compelling story? Because the, the battle for attention for individuals, so many things are battling for the attention. It's a question of what's creative, what's interesting, and what deserves to win that battle. And so video appeals to a lot of people, especially short video. And I think that, I think that we will continue to see corporations, companies, and even funds doing more and and more of this, which leads me to a thought too, just about financial services Mm -hmm. and professional services. You know, I, I think for a long time, these were industries that never would look at at using tools like video or using tools like podcasts or other types of things because they considered themselves B2B and they weren't really direct direct to a consumer. But I think that there is, first of all, they have the ability now because there are so many channels to tell your story, but they also understand that there's so much competition for the mind share of the individuals they're trying to reach that if they can do it in a creative and thoughtful way, their chances of success are much better. And so, you know, I think that mindset of, okay, forward thinking, what's our story? How do we tell it in a creative way has really kind of engulfed a lot of industries, including financial services. And that in financial services, that could mean everything from traditional asset management to hedge funds to yeah. private equity to insurance companies, yeah. right? And, and other industries that you wouldn't normally associate 
with this type of communications. And I think we're going to see more and more of it. Excellent. And if we build on that, looking five, 10 years out down the road, you were talking about going back to simpler times, potentially. <laughs> I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on, on where you expect PR communication strategies to be as we continue to, to move into a higher concentration of technology and more channels. Well, I think it's going to be about winning, winning the mind share of yeah. the potential consumer. And I think that storytelling, it starts with storytelling, understanding what is a good story, extracting that story from an organization, mm -hmm. and then figuring out what are the best channels to reach that audience. And it will be more targeted than ever because we'll be able to identify where people are. And I think it's up to companies to really understand what their story is and what's the most creative and interesting way that they can communicate it to those audiences. Excellent. Russell, thank you so much for joining me today. Matt, my pleasure. Excellent. It's a lot of fun. I'm Matt Swain, and you've been listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast. If you like this episode and think someone else would too, please share it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about Broadridge, our insights, and our innovations, visit broadridge.com or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn.